Hello, everyone. My name is Joshua Gilliland, attorney blogger on Bowtie Law and with Jessica Meterson on The Legal Geeks. With me today is one of my favorite people uh, when it comes to doing e-discovery because she's just an awesome attorney. She's, she's a CEO of her, of her service provider in Minneapolis, and that is Christine Charlstrom, CEO of Shepherd Data. Christine, how are you today? Hey, Josh. I am fabulous. We actually got above 40 today. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're getting close to triple digits here in California, and you know, somewhere in the middle would probably be good for both of us. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's hot, and I'm sorry, it's freezing where you are. Yeah, very strange weather. But this isn't a podcast about the weather. This is a podcast about the taxation of costs and how to recover them as Chris and I break down the Quan software engineering, the Foray Technologies case, which uh, District Judge Susan uh, Ilston uh, issued on May 8th. It's a really good opinion. Uh, Chris actually got the invoices that were on the affidavits, so we'll talk about those. But if you haven't read the blog post about it, here's the quick overview. Prevailing party seeks over $61,000 in e-discovery costs. They get $7,100, and that's a bummer. And the issues broke down upon how they invoiced for document processing, uh, trying to go after data hosting costs, they also tried getting costs for hard drives that weren't actually used in the production. The judge did a beautiful breakdown of the rules pertaining to uh, <clears throat> a beautiful breakdown of the rules when it comes to taxation of costs. And there, there's one basic one for us to look at. And in the Ninth Circuit, and this all varies different circuits, but in the Ninth Circuit, in the district courts here in California, the courts have held that costs that can be compensated under 1920 are only permitted for the preparation and duplication of documents, not the efforts incurred in assembling, collecting, or processing those documents. And what gives me a nosebleed is those collecting and processing of documents often are the duplication of those documents. And that's why Chris is here. So we're going to talk about basic issues and how to talk about processing to help educate the courts. So Chris, now you've read this opinion. Why did you think the prevailing party failed in their costs uh, based upon what the court said? Well, um, First of all, let's just talk about what we had to do to find the invoice. <laughs> so we did go through kind of an exercise to find it, and I think it's really important for folks to take a look at the invoice in this case because I think it's really illustrative of what happened and what the feeling is. Um, I'm kind of like a real pragmatic person. So when the court was talking about, you know, the rules and everything else, it's, it's like let's see exactly what failed on these invoices. So hopefully um, people will take the time to find this invoice. So we're just taking a look at it right now. And what really was lacking in it 
was a real good description of project management. So there's probably about, let's see, five invoices that was that were submitted from the vendor. And instead of detailing exactly what needed to be done within the project management section, they just basically said, hey, project management per hour, and that's it. So really they needed to flesh out you know, well, this is what we did, or this section, or we spent an hour going through determining which documents needed to be produced for um, opposing counsel. None of that was there. Yeah, and it, it's quite tragic to look at this because I do believe that their invoices do represent the industry standard, and that's terrifying. Now, it's it's harder to get the law changed. But it's easier to get everyone to start invoicing differently. So what they did recover on, they had a heading that said document processing. And with the description that said pages endorsed, parenthesis, per image. They had another that said e-discovery with e-discovery dash processing of raw data, parenthesis, per TIFF. And that totaled three cents a page or three cents an image, depending on how you look at this, then multiplied by the number of pages produced, and that turned into the prevailing party cost that's ultimately awarded. Personally, I would encourage more detail because when you think about the rule, and again, looking at the different districts, it varies, but the basic rule is you want to explain how this was necessary for the production. So you don't want it to sound like assembling. You don't want it to just sound like, hey, we're just processing data here. You want it to go to the ultimate issue of production. And I think this is the way to get in native file costs, being able to show that this just wasn't processing and thus we were done. It wasn't conversion at TIP, which generally can increase the cost of production, but we want to get to the basics of this is what we had to do to produce to the other side. So having that, that phrase and understanding the goal is production, and some courts will almost right out of the gate deny something that says processing as a cost, but getting to the point of being able to say prepared data for production and outline the steps that were done whether it is identifying dates, custodians, subject matter, if there was data analysis that was done, because the courts don't want to reward intellectual efforts. And this is where we get into a fight, because some courts will say, oh, keywords are just intellectual efforts, and others will go like, oh, no, that was actually necessary to do the production. It's schizophrenic, and it's schizophrenic within districts. So mm -hmm. that's scary. So you have to explain how it was done and why. And just using two words that said data processing, uh, endorsing, not, not enough on that side for the court to truly understand what was done. Well, and but on this, this case, Josh, though, they did, did make it. I mean, that phrase, processing, did make it. I mean, that was part of what was awarded. But, I, you know, I, to your point, I think there's other courts that it, it wouldn't fly. But in this weird way, in this schizophrenic kind of, it, 
kind of a situation that we're in with translation of technical services, sometimes the processing phrase does work and sometimes it doesn't. I think what carried the day here, and this is where I was trying to go a little broader, is the, the fact that the word image and TIFF are on the invoice. Because, yeah. Because there are those who will deny it because it says native file. And you're making a copy of the native file in a defensible way when you're processing. And so I have a problem with that. And, and that's kind of ironic, too, because I think that was almost like an afterthought by the vendor. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, well, we should probably put in here per image or per TIFF, but it wasn't necessarily something that they really intended to do because it's inconsistent. I mean, on the first part, they say per image, and then on the second part, they say per TIFF. Well, TIFF and image, it's the same thing, people. <laughs> so why did they use different phrases? Yeah, you know, two lines apart. So yeah. it's, it's different. It's, it's strange, uh, but there are ways to handle it so it could work. And I would encourage, I think, for all service providers, because I think what they did does meet the industry standard. I think looking at different companies, they would all have very similar invoices to this one. Oh, yeah, we are. We have that. I mean, basically what we do, it's, it's build out per unit, per image. We would do the same thing. But I think you're right, though. I think vendors need to change. Instead of saying processing, gosh, just say copying. I mean, that's an awful legacy phrase, but that's going to get their clients the awards they need. That might work. Another option would be try to educate the courts. And this is where... It, the number of cases that go to trial are small. And as such, you have the magistrate judges who handle all the e-discovery disputes, and then you get district court judges who are handling taxation of cost issues. Generally speaking, there, there are exceptions to this. So it's, it's very far down the food chain. Now, this case is unique because it actually has a really, really good e-discovery judge handling it. Mm -hmm. So... You know, there's that factor. And I really think she poured over this in trying to understand what was done and how. And parts of the opinion actually say, I can't tell what they did. I can't. Yeah, well, that project management is just not, I mean, it's, um, seriously, there is absolutely no detail on that project management. You would hope that a service provider is tracking the workflow as they handle this. Because so many of the tools now have that built in. Well, that's, they should. They should have on that one. Yeah, so that, that's, that, that is strange. Yeah, and, I know that we, we do. I mean, we kind of take a look. We kind of track the project management section. or And see, that's the whole thing. I don't think that that fee there is just project management. I think there was data prep. There was obviously prep for production, um, calling the data, doing searches, things like that. But this project management, there is no detail there. And that's really go ahead. No, it's, it's, it's a problem because when you th there's they probably had a case wiki or some project management tool that documented everything. Mm -hmm. That's if they had that, and I bet they did because no one could d conduct business this way with no case history and not knowing what was done. So they have to have some documentation. That's you'd want that to be imported into the invoice so the lawyers could go like, oh yeah, that's that's what we did. Yeah. yeah, I'd be curious to talk to the vendor 
Mm-hmm. And why they did a lump fee like that. You know, what was what was the guts behind this? Because, you know, knowing attorneys and having been on both sides of this, helping lawyers put together information to go to the service provider saying, help us figure this out. And, you know, and being with the service provider that, you know, the project manager gets this note from the law firm at 450 on a Friday saying, hey, you know, we want all these search terms, uh, you know, run on the data. Here's all these requests for production from the other side. Go figure this out. And that sort of detail should go into, you know, determined search analysis based upon requests for production and get into the detail. Yeah. And granted, I don't know if any courts actually had that happen yet, but I'd much rather make that fight than the fight of your honor. It's project management per hour, and we spent 14.5 hours on it at 150 an hour. It's very tough for a court to go like, oh, yeah, that's worth $2,000. Yeah. No problem at all. you got to have that detail for the courts to understand it. And again, did the did the um, attorneys take any attempt to explain out to flesh out that project management anywhere? It doesn't look like it. I do not see any further description of that at all. Judging from the opinion, it doesn't look that way. But this might have been the first time that they had to fight one of these. So, because not a bunch of these make it this far. So, I mean, I, you know, this isn't an indictment of you know, the, the service provider or the law firm because you know, it could have been the first time that they were trying to slug this out. That being said, it's, all right, I would have more detail. Just as lawyers in their billing, you know, they don't say depot prep mm-hmm. as a bill and then say, like, yeah, we spent five hours on depot prep. Okay. What witness? What did you review? You know, you got to throw in, you know, here are the 40 exhibits I looked at and I determined which 12 I was going to take to deposition and structure the questions based upon reviewing the other three depots of the uh, three other witnesses. You know, you want, I'm like, lawyers do that if they're billing efficiently. And I would encourage service providers to do the same. It, this is kind of funny. I'm looking at this attachment or this exhibit. <clears throat> so they have a summary, um, like kind of in the beginning of it, where they summarize each invoice that's attached. So for the legal service vendor, look at the, what the tricky vent, uh, attorney tried to do. This is the description he has or she has. Um, so they have the vendor name and the date, and then they have the total date amount of the invoice. So this is what the attorney attempted to do. Um, they tried to throw it into production category. So this is the attorney's description. Identify and produce documents from ESI database and maintain ESI database for continued production of documents. <laughs> so they tried. <laughs> they tried, and because, you know, for those who, who don't recognize this, case you know, data hosting is not recoverable. However, I believe that if you could argue that it's not just an online warehouse, but the analysis tools that go into it, and if you argue what it does to find what's necessary for the production as opposed to a monthly fee. Right. You, again, no one's won on that, but I don't know if anyone's really tried it either. Yeah. But that's, you know, that attempt there, 
to categorize it all, I think it kind of worked against them. I think that's kind of, you know, demeaning to the judge to say, yeah, you know, we're just going to lump all this together. <laughs> and we're saying it's all for production. But she went further. She, she did a good job of really getting into these invoices and taking a look at it. So, yeah, I think this is a great decision based on what I'm seeing with these invoices. I really do. I think she made the right decision. Yeah, well, I do too. And I, I do feel bad for the attorney that had to handle this because, you know, you have probably an associate. It's like, all right, good luck. Well, but, but, but what they would have had to do, all they would have had to go back to the vendor and say, let's flesh out this project management fee. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's go, let's do an affidavit on exactly what you did here. And maybe that would have won them some more money. I would, you know, I would hope so, because when you think about it, again, they have to have a project management tool of some kind yeah. documenting what they did. Well, and if they don't, then they don't deserve the fees. True, true. I mean, you would think there's a case wiki. There's some decision tree so they know what's happening, and it's not just Outlook emails with notes from the lawyers saying, go run the search. Right. They, that would never win. But, yeah, I wonder, I wonder if the attorney attempted to do that and maybe the vendor didn't have documentation on it. They couldn't go ahead and recreate what that project management fee was. Which is then an epitaph to every service provider out there that doesn't do it. Yeah. That, I mean, because how do you think the law firm feels? It's like, oh, we lost all these costs because the service provider didn't give enough detail. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I think I think the attorney could have pushed some more. Something something went wrong here because um, you know if if I was litigating this case and I saw this amorphous project management with no detail, gosh, I would have done. Oh, okay. I would have too. I would have. Yeah, because wrong. What did you spend fourteen hours doing? Right. And if there are here are the ten email messages or break it down. Here are the 10 requests that we were given the request for production. We did analysis on you know, requests for productions one through 30. Uh, here was what was done for the first one. Here was what was done for RFP two. Here was what was done for RFP three and break it down. And I think a lot of people don't want to take the time to do that. But if you want to try recovering $60,000 in costs, you should. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that, go ahead. But we're advocating a change of how people do business. So it's not like everybody's doing this and recovering. Yeah, I wish the court had been a little bit more specific on exactly what parts of the invoice, um, you know, they allowed. Because you know, I'm looking at this too. They have a little section here with data management. And they have a section for production export. It's like um, the third or fourth line down in one of the invoices. I wonder if that was partially awarded as well. It's, man, but again, the detail is just not there. It's so hard to tell. And there are, and again, this is where things look really confused when you look at the case law, where you have some courts say that managing the databases and working on the production can be recovered, and others say, no, they cannot. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to figure out the rule. 
But if you don't give enough information, it's very hard to fight for anything. Yeah, I agree. Well, and then it's just, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, it's the issue is you got to document, you got to document and you have to educate the court, you know, mm-hmm. and, a, and again, this was a district judge who knows the discovery. And I think she actually spent a lot of time trying to figure this one out. Yeah, I think she did. I think she made the right decision based on these invoices that I'm seeing. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, it goes to the bigger issue of lawyers need to teach their service providers how to invoice. Mm-hmm. Every service provider, it is in their vested interest to know how to invoice with educating a judge in mind to understand. Because four words, yeah, I mean, do you really want to bet the farm on that? Being able yeah. It's kind of like um, what you were talking about before, how um, technologists kind of um, get into their own world and they don't really explain what they're doing. It's kind of like, well, you don't you know how to export all these documents or isn't, isn't this easy for you? And, you know, why don't you understand this? Everybody understands this. But I think, I think service bureaus and technology experts essentially need to be considerate experts. You know, they need to realize where the judiciary is at with this technology. They're not stupid folks. I mean, they really are sophisticated individuals. And you just need to explain it to them, you know, and just do it in a very non-condescending way. The best way for a service provider to commit career suicide is to think a judge is dumb. (laughs) That is the worst tactical error that somebody who's good at technology can do. Yeah. Again, that's also why you don't want lawyers to come across as arrogant you know, even if the facts are on your side, the jury's going to hate you. Right. And you'll, you'll lose because they hate you. Mm-hmm. Even if the facts support your position and people scoff at that, but it happens. And, and same with this. So looking at, you have to be likable. You have to be able to explain to the judge, your honor, this is how it works. Right. There, there's a wonderful uh, article and a quote that I saw from judge Graywall here in the Northern district He's a magistrate judge, really, really cool, cool individual who talked about the importance of listening to the expert and being able to have the geek there to explain how this worked because he wants to know. You have to be prepared for that. And lawyers are really good at coming up with the paper trail to explain what was done. Service providers need to adopt that model. And, and I'm not saying paper the file. That is not what I mean. But document what you do so somebody can look back and go like, oh, yeah. They had to perform data analytics to identify the relevant time periods in the case and the relevant custodians for the production to the other side. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a fight because – this is something people are going to fight about. And there's some case law that says you don't get it. And there's other case law that says you do get it. But if you can show all of that was necessary for the production, I think the judge would go for it. Well, yeah. And I think if the attorney took some time and explained to the service provider, Hey, it's really important that we phrase this correctly. 
you know, and actually kind of educate the service provider too. Because seriously, they're a bunch of geeks. You know, they don't know the law either. So it's really up to the attorney to say, you know, and translate the law for the geeks. It works both ways. It's, you know, maybe this, what this was, was a failure to communicate. <laughs> what we have here is a failure to communicate. No, I would believe so. <laughs> that lawyers and geeks don't always communicate the same. There are those who do. There are those who do, and they do a beautiful job. And I know many who fall into both categories. But there are, you know, you, it's not like lawyers walk into a room of project managers and start speaking Latin because they can. Right. You know, I actually don't know any lawyers who do that. No. I, I can remember maybe three Latin phrases in the law because it's not like we use them frequently. <laughs> I just remember race judicata. <laughs> there's that. Uh, there, there's Newton Packham, which is for, you know, the naked contract, which is, you know, lots of fun. So that was, that's goes back to contract law. What, what's the other one? Stare decesis? Uh, Lex loci contractu. Oh, now we're showing how geeky we are here. And I know. Not only geeky, but also nerdy about the law here. So, okay. We're digressing. Yeah. But that's four. And that's basically where my memory on that ends because there, that was like appellate advocacy and that was diving into those issues and it was fun. Can you believe at one point they actually taught attorneys how to speak Latin? I mean, that was like a whole course, like in the 40s and 50s. Anyhow, we digress. Yes. Now they need to, they don't need to teach coding, but they need to teach how to talk to the service provider to figure out how to do this. Because you're not yeah. going to represent a software company or a mom and pop shop unless you somehow have a client who's practicing law in the 1980s yeah. and doing business with people in 1975, are you able, will this be relevant to you? You have to know the basics in being able to talk to a service provider. How did you identify those emails and loose files? Yeah, well, and I doubt. Do you think that they had a conversation where they talked about this? No. Yeah. The lawyers who do that, I mean, it's, you could count the firms on one hand that probably do that as a matter of course. No, because they're just, they're just outsourcing it. The vendor's doing what they tell them to do, and then they do the delivery. I doubt it. There's ever a conversation of, hey, you know what? We need to, we're doing this for production. It's important that we recover our costs. This is the rules. Let's take a look at one of your sample invoices and see if it's up to snuff. If they had spent maybe an hour conversation doing that, they would have would have had a total different result. And this gets into you know the issues with lawyer competency when it comes to technology. And there have been fights recently about that where some firms take the point of view that, well, that's paralegal work. I don't need to know how to search an Excel file. Yeah. And when you take the point of view that I don't need to know how, you know, you know, control or command F works to search a document, and that's measly paralegal work, like there's some subhuman being, the lawyer sounds like an idiot that they don't know the basics. And that's why you have outside counsel going like, yeah, we're not going to have idiots handling our cases uh, and, and taking the point of view like, oh, but we're not going to pay for pay paralegal work when that's just basic human functionality right I, I remember one of the firms I first interviewed at when I got out of law school 
none of the law in this is 2002 early 2002 and this firm that did aviation law had the point of view that lawyers did not use computers or emails and that they <laughs> dictated everything and I as soon as they said that I was like I don't want to work here I don't want yeah. to I don't want to be on your team because I'll type myself yeah and walking into a law firm where no lawyer had a computer was terrifying because you know it's like you're gonna have a crash landing and it ain't gonna be pretty so. yeah did I ever tell you the story about my early interviews with law firms no oh, this is great this is great it, it parallels your your experience so I, I went to William Mitchell and we had fall interviewing where an employer comes in on campus and does interviews and um, I was a geek even then. I was really into computers. This is probably in the early 90s. In fact, I know, maybe late 80s, actually. So uh, computers were just coming to the forefront. And I was so into it. It was, it was pretty fun because there was so much potential. I mean, I just saw it. So I just assumed, you know, all law firms were embracing the te technology and apply it into practice. So um, I go in there, and I'm all young and, and excited and into computers, into the law, everything. And um, the interview starts, and it's, it's with a senior partner at this law firm. And I'm not going to say the law firm name because it's just embarrassing. And um, they're still around, by the way. And actually, they're probably still in the 1980s technology. So, um, so I started asking them, and I started asking them about their infrastructure. And I said, will I get a computer? And, oh, my gosh, Josh, it was as if I had farted. <laughs> you know, the look on this senior partner's face was of total disgust. And he said to me, oh, no, only secretaries use computers. And that was the end of the interview. Because he had no interest in talking to me, and I had no interest in talking to them. It's horrifying and I know some of that point of view might still exist in different firms because uh, there's enough anecdotal evidence to suggest it but you have to have some understanding of the technology in order to be able to go as this case highlights go to the service provider and go we're going to need more detail we're yeah. going to need to understand what you did I hit you up 25 times asking you to run searches to find things that were responsive to discovery requests and by God, that was what we produced. And by God, we're going to figure out a way to get our cost back for that. Right. So, it's like, let's work together. Let's figure out we're a team. Mm -hmm. And I think they could have done that in this case. Instead, what the attorney did here is they did the summary description. And it was overbroad. I bet that really kind of, um, that, that didn't help them at all. I mean, if I was the judge on the other side and I saw this summary description that they tried to pass by her, I mean, that's kind of insulting. You know, this identify and produce documents from ESI database and maintain ESI database for continued production of documents and lump the whole invoice into that when truly it wasn't. That's almost insulting. And that's where some people might say I'm unrealistic, but break it down. They should have. That might have helped. That might have helped their case. I, I don't think even if they had done it, they hadn't fleshed out that whole project management thing, uh -huh. they wouldn't have gotten very far. But if the project management had said, request for production one, 
you know, and explained how they determined the date range, what technology was used to do so, what steps were then taken, and why, and yep. why, and why it was necessary to identify it for production. That might carry the day. It depends on the judge. I do think the case law would state this: this is what you need to do. Yep. But as far as I can tell, no one's done it. No, well, maybe from now on they will. I hope so. I really hope that the entire profession, that lawyers work with their service providers and come up with the protocols for billing. Mm -hmm. If you're going to have a protocol for review, you're going to have a protocol for productions, you should have a protocol for costs and explaining what steps are done. Well, I got to tell you, this case has kind of inspired me to go to my clients and, and just talk to them and set up a venue where we can talk about the invoices and make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to so they can get their costs. And that's fantastic. I think everyone should do that and figure out what's the right metrics for this because you want the judges to go, this looks good to me. Right. You know, and well, I would never ask a judge for an advisory opinion. You know, it'd be nice to go, Your Honor, what would you want to see? Yeah, exactly. You know, what level of detail? You know, did what I articulate, does that sound good to you or does that sound too extreme? Yeah, I bet she knows. She knows what she wanted to see. She just wasn't seeing it here. Yeah, and you, you're not going to see a judge go, Here's exactly what I want. I mean, yeah. it's not like the bird. That's not their role. Well, again, I mean, like there's the occasional Supreme Court opinion where they decide this is what a constitutional law would look like, signed Justice Berger. You know, they, they <laughs> you know, there's a reason why it's only like every 30 years something like that happens, and it's usually a big civil rights type case. It's not a cost case. Right. Breaking it down. Well, well Chris, with that said, uh, where can people find out more about Shepherd Data? Oh, well, you know, we're on the web. <laughs> www.shepherddata.com. Um, so we're actually even, we're, we're going to have a new website soon. I'd say by probably the end of this month. It looks like it's scheduled to go online. So Outstanding. Well, Chris, I hope things warm up in your great city and your wonderful state of Minnesota. And I look forward to visiting sometime soon. Yep, sounds good. Thanks, Josh. Anytime, Chris. Yep, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.